Hello everyone, this is Prashant and I'll be your host for the Chaube Saha podcast. And today we have Jordan Connor with us. Now, Jordan is an indie hacker and the founder at Closet Tools. He's someone who believes that anyone can learn the necessary skills to build an audience, then build a product, and then start making money on the internet. More than that, he has amazing clarity of thoughts and is someone that I look up to personally. Jordan, I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for joining me for this podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's going to be fun. Absolute pleasure. Now, Jordan, uh, I need to give a word for my sponsors. And since I didn't get any sponsors, let's do a five second silence for our sponsors. Will you do this with me? Yeah, sounds good. That's very expensive uh, silence there. There we go. There we go. So sponsors, you will regret losing out on that slot. Wow. And I hope I hope you don't do that next time. You know, (laughs) so a very valuable slot gone waste for you. Uh, Big opportunity lost. No worries. No worries. We get on with our business. And Jordan, let's get this started. So I want you to talk about how's your journey been till now? Give, Give us a background about. What's your story been till now? Yeah, so um, I guess as far as like where I'm at right now, you know, right now I own my own business. I run a SaaS business, so I and I'm a the only employee, so I, I'm the developer. I run customer support. Um, you know, I I develop the product. I you know, uh, you know, write documentation. I write content. I do marketing. So I do all of that stuff, and so like. Uh, and I just want to say that because like, that's where things are now. And that is definitely not the way I've always, <laughs> always been. Um, so if you go back, I don't know, like six or seven years, um, I was in college and, um, I was in college, uh, as an electrical engineer. And so that's the discipline that I picked. And I have a genuine interest for, you know, electronics and building electronics. Um, and specifically I was doing, uh, you know, like low level coding for processors and things like that. Um, and so I actually graduated, uh, from RIT, uh, which is in New York up, uh, up North in the States. And, um, and then I started working for Corning and I worked in their advanced optics department. And so I was doing a lot of tests. Uh, I was testing, developing test suites for the products that they were putting out. So basically it would, you know, run series of tests to show the quality of the product. Um, so I did a lot of work with like lasers and, uh, data acquisition and um, yeah, just a lot of different sensors and things like that. So it was actually really interesting. It was actually really cool. Uh, the big problem, though, was that uh, school was really expensive and I didn't really have much support going into school. So I loaned out the whole thing and it was a private school. And so when I graduated, I had uh, you know close to $150,000 in, in student loan debt. And, um, that wasn't a problem until I had to start paying it back. <laughs> and, uh, that's when, uh, you know, it, it, it just dawned on me how much, how much debt that was and how much of an impact it had on my personal finances. And so, um, you know, right around when I got, when, when I graduated, I actually, uh, got married, I got married to my wife and we had dated for a long time. So it wasn't like, you know, anything sudden or anything like that. Uh, but then the combination of her student loan debt, she had a little bit, she had like 50 K or something, you know, the combination of that and my debt, you know, put us at like 200 K, uh, in student loans. And, um, at the time when I graduated and I was working for Corning, 
Um, I was making high 70,000 a year um, or something like that. And uh, the student loan debt was the payment, the monthly payment for the min- the monthly minimum payment for like a 30 year payoff period was more than half of my income. Um, and so it just didn't leave a lot of wiggle room for anything we wanted to do. You know, I mean, it paid for our, for our very minimal lifestyle, you know, it paid for our groceries and, you know, paid some bills and stuff like that. Um, but then over time, you know, we started racking up a little bit of credit card debt. You know, we had a, we had a child very early on and and children can be pretty expensive. So there's a lot of expenses there. And so basically there was this whole financial issue. I had this huge financial hole, uh, that I needed to fill. And so uh, that was when I decided, okay, I got to do something different. I can't stay employed. I have to figure out a way to get an additional income source so that I can start to dig myself out of this hole because I don't want to be living this lifestyle for the next 30 years of my life. Um, And so that was when I decided to do that. And that was probably about five years ago. And I knew at that time that I wanted to make an app, but I didn't really know what that entailed. I didn't really know... Uh, anything behind that. I just knew like, hey, this is probably something I'd be interested in. And then I went on this long journey of uh, first learning how to code, do web code. So I actually knew how to code. I knew how to do like, you know, like low level code, like C, C++. Um, But I didn't know JavaScript. I didn't know HTML, didn't know CSS. Um, And so first, that was the first thing I did is I learned web code. Um, And so I learned how to make websites and I started making websites for a bunch of people. And I started, you know, getting into that, into that ecosystem. And then I kind of started journeying down the path of making an app and uh, making an app includes all of the backend stuff. So you're talking like interfacing with servers and I decided to go down a serverless route. So, you know, I, so I learned that, but then, then I discovered that no matter what, if you build an app, if nobody knows about it, then nobody's going to use it and you're, you know, you're not going to make an income from it. So I had to learn marketing. So that's when I was exposed to SEO. And then I started doing SEO for other people and I started, um, you know, starting building up those skills. And so, uh, this is took, all of that took about, um, I don't know, two and a half years, three years. And during that time I had a young son and, um, you know, I was doing this on the side. So I was actually getting up early in the morning. And I was doing it between 5 and 7 a.m. And then I would go to work at 8 and do my day job and then come home in the evening and hang out with the family and stuff. And so that's when I was learning all of these skills and and doing all these things for other people. And then it got to the point where I kind of had to make a decision like, okay, you, you really either need a second job or you need to make something that works and that actually brings in an income. And so I actually made a product that ultimately failed. Um, it was a black paper, paper notebook and I launched it on Kickstarter and I kind of baked in a lot of the skills that I had learned, but I was also learning, uh, like Facebook ads and just like, uh, pay-per-click ads and stuff like that at the time. And I actually did pretty well with it. Um, I needed about, uh, I think it was like 13 K to do the initial funding to buy the order of whatever, like 5,000 notebooks and then sell them for 20 bucks and that, that type of thing. Um, but I got, I don't know, it was like just shy of that. And um, I'm pretty grateful that that didn't work out because I feel like that business would have been really tough. Uh, it would have been a lot harder to, to run and it just wouldn't have fit with my lifestyle as much. And so I learned a, I learned a ton. It was, it was a really good experience. I learned a lot from it. But it was right after that point 
uh, it was actually, it was interesting. It was during that time was when I was exposed to Poshmark and my, well, actually my wife was exposed to Poshmark through her friends. And that was when I wrote the initial script for what would then eventually become closet tools. And I had no intention of actually selling it or, um, using, you know, selling it as a product. But it was during that time when I was building this other product that I came up with that because I was just, I was all over the place. I was just building stuff. I was helping people. I was just figuring out something that would work. Um, and so when the black paper notebook failed, um, my wife and her friends had been telling me for months, like, Hey, you should sell this thing. It's valuable because it's making us a bunch of money. So it's got to make other people a bunch of money. And at the time I was like, I don't know. It was like a hundred lines of code. And I felt weird. I was like, am I really going to sell like a hundred lines of code to people? You know, like it, that just felt weird to me. Um, and ultimately I didn't sell a hundred lines of code, but it was like a thousand lines of code. You know, when I, when I made the first product, you know, it was something super simple. And, um, yeah, so it was right as that black paper notebook failed. Um, it was like a couple months later, I went on Reddit, the Poshmark subreddit, and I said, Hey, I have this script. It does X, Y, Z. Um, here's how you can add it. And I, I let them use it for free. And I said, basically, and I made a landing page where they could put in their email. And then when they put their email in, they got a link to a document that it showed them how to install it. And I did that for free. And I said, okay, put your email in here. You get this script for free. It does this. And everybody thought it was really cool. And then basically um, a couple weeks in, I emailed out that list and I said, hey, now that you've used the script, do you have any feedback on what you'd like to see it do um, You know, right now? And so I got this idea list from all of those people. It actually ended up being around like 200 people on that list. It actually, it got pretty popular. It was pretty, it was a cool start. Um, and then I spent a month building out the front end interface for that script. So at first it was a bookmarklet which is basically like you add JavaScript to a bookmark on Google Chrome and you just click it and then it kind of executes the code. Um, so I built a front end for it. And most of the time, actually, I was it took me about a month. I, it took me like three weeks and a few days to figure out how to integrate Stripe <laughs> and just add billing to my product. But then once I figured that out, it was pretty easy to just make the front end and you know get the app up and running and stuff like that. And uh, that's when I launched it. So I launched it to that list and I charged 30 bucks a month, which is still the same price that it is today. And um, and I got 10 people uh, that converted after the seven day trial to be paying customers. Um, and so right out of the gate, I was at 300 MRR, $300 MRR. And, um, and that was actually my only intention. My intention was to make something that made like an extra thousand dollars a month that, um, you know, just help pay the bills, help start, you know, get this debt down. And so I can start to build a new lifestyle. And so, um, you know, fast forward a little bit, um, I, had been writing articles. I had been doing the SEO thing because I had already had experience with that. And, um, that all of that work combined kind of started to make this thing take off a little bit. And, um, when I, I always tell people it was an accident getting to a thousand MRR, but then once I got to that point, it was, it was no accident that it went to, you know, 10 K 20 K 30 K, um, because I really doubled down on it and I started working on it started focusing on it, started adding features, added content, um, you know, interacted with, you know, uh, potential customers and things like that. So, um, so yeah, but then it was another two years, uh, where I was still employed full time and I was working in closet tools in the morning. So I only worked on it between five and 7 AM unless there was some crazy, you know, issue and I had to fix it overnight or something like that. I would, you know, do an overnighter, but that was pretty rare. 
Um, but yeah, for the, for the vast majority of it, I was working on it from five to 7 AM, just like I had been learning my skills. And, um, and so, yeah, then I've just built it over the last couple of years and, uh, just keep adding value, keep adding features, keep making it, you know, more simple for people. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I got to where I am today. Yeah, that's, that's a really incredible story. And uh, I see how there is a struggle angle to it that you were in debt, uh, you and your wife both being in debt, and then you have a kid early on, and then it must be really hard for you at that point. And then uh, you had to figure something out besides your job. And uh, and then this thing came up by accident that, okay, let's build a tool for Poshmark. Or, I, be I believe you built it for your wife, for helping your wife, right? Yeah, it was like she she was getting on Poshmark to to make some extra money so that we had extra money. And um, when I saw how much time it was taking her to like, you know, list her items and then share her items and do all these things, I said, oh, I can probably write a script that like would automate some of that. It would save you some time. So I only intended to save my wife some time, uh, you know, just to kind of help get us some extra income. Um, so yeah, that was the, that was the first reason why I built it. Yeah. Okay. So there, there's a lesson in there that always try to help your wife. <laughs> there might be a big, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there, there might be a, yeah. Save your, save your wife some time. Yeah. There, there might be a big business out there. Right. <laughs> and yeah, well, actually I just listened to an interview with, um, oh, I can't forget his first name or I forget his first name is, I think it's James Dyson. It's the, the Dyson founder. And, uh, that was kind of his thing was he, his wife had a vacuum and he saw the vacuum and it was just like terrible. And he's like, you know what? I think I can design a better vacuum. Like that would, you know, make this a lot more effective for you. And then that started the long journey of Dyson and, you know, making a better vacuum and stuff like that. So yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's definitely some, some benefits in there for sure. And you get a happy wife. So, you know, it's good. Absolutely. There are plenty of benefits for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it's, it's very good to hear your story and, uh, you worked on, uh, closet tools in the morning and then went to your job, did your job. And then again, the next day you would work in the morning. Uh, so yeah. how do you manage these, manage these two, uh, was your job easy on you that, uh, because there is mental, mental stress of a job as well, right? That, okay, I have to do this thing at work and that thing at work. How do you manage to separate your mm -hmm. business and the thinking that you had put in for your business and the thinking that you had to put in for the business that you worked for? Yep. Yeah. How do you separate the two? Yeah. yeah. I think this is super interesting because um, what I had to do is very different than what you would tell somebody if you were giving them career advice. <laughs> I actually, for those two years, I was very upfront and forward to my upper level management that number one, I was not the guy to depend on. Um, I will get my work done. I will do a very good job with what I do, but I am not the guy that's going to stay after work. I'm not the guy that's going to, you know, overwork myself and, you know, and, and, and dedicate every ounce of energy I have to this place. I said, I am going to put in the minimal amount of work to do the work that I need to do. That is, you know, good work, excellent work, but I'm not going to overwork. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, a lot of, you know, at first, a lot of people didn't really understand. Um, and it was nice because I was able to use family as an excuse. Cause I was like, Hey, I, you know, I got a you know, young family. I want to spend time with them and stuff like that. Um, and nobody knew I was building a business on the side. Um, but yes, it was actually literally, that was, that was pretty much the reason why I was able to build closet tools because even at work, 
um, you know, I, I was able to work on closet tools sometimes, you know, like it would be like lunch break or, you know, even if like stuff was slow, projects were slow and I had like deadlines that were far out and I didn't really need to work on anything. You know, I was able to work on closet tools. And nobody really could even tell because I was one of the few developers there. So as long as I was writing code, people thought I was working. So, um, so, so it was, so I definitely was fortunate in, uh, you know, the employment situation I was in. I had a lot of autonomy. They actually really liked my work. They, they appreciated my work and they let me work, you know, pretty much off on my own. They would be like, Hey Jordan, we need this project done in a month and it would take me maybe a week's worth of work to do. And so I had a lot of free time to kind of, you know, do anything else that I wanted to do. Um, so that, that definitely helped a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I, you know, and I don't know if that's the answer for everyone is to like go to their employer and be like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not, you know, the, 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 the guy that is going to, you know, drive the company forward. Um, but that's what I, that's what I did. And so there was this expectation that like, Hey, like Jordan's not, you know, his intention isn't to be the guy that's going to go out and save the company. His, his intention is to sit back, do his work, go home at the end of the day and, and go enjoy his family. Um, so that helped, you know, that helped balancing family and a side job or, you know, a side project and work. Um, it certainly was tough, you know, I was spending a lot of time working still. Um, and it, it was a lot of energy, but, um, yeah, that made it a little easier for sure. Yeah. And, and I see that, uh... I, I, I don't see any wrong in doing this because you are only setting your boundaries that, okay, these are my boundaries. I'm not going to yeah. go work myself, but I, I'm going to do my work well. You know, I, I yep. think any, any good yep. employer should be fine with it unless they want to drive their employees mm -hmm. crazy. So I think that should be pretty fine with any employee, <laughs> employer if their intention is correct. Yeah. But yeah, so some startups these mm -hmm. days, you know, which have the intention that we want crazy growth, exponential growth, like just go crazy all over the place. Mm -hmm. uh, those companies would probably not like these kind of employees who don't stay back and stuff like that. Yeah. And you probably do, exactly. don't, don't yep. want to be an employee at those companies, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So that's yep. super nice. So I see that you have now built a fairly, fairly successful business out of Closet Tools. You know, it's, it's doing what? Uh, more than 400K dollars uh, annual recurring revenue. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, right around 400K, yep, per year. Yeah. So, like, I, I would call that huge. Like, that, I would call that you're, you're successful. And besides that, not just it's not just the money that you're making. You are, you've also built a sane lifestyle with it. You know, you're not going crazy mm -hmm. for your business. You have freedom to do whatever yep. you want to do. So that the other day you tweeted that, okay, I'm building this bridge, you know, close to my house and, <laughs> yeah, right. and, and like yep. Live, yep. live tweeting it. I was like, dude, like this, this yep. man is living his life, man. He has a business, he's making mm -hmm. money and he's doing real stuff, man. He's building real things, you mm -hmm. know, building a bridge, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So talk, 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 talk me into this, you know, how do you build a successful business? Uh, you know, in, in the after, after, after thought, you know, it might look like there is a procedure to it, you know, but maybe it just happened that way. Okay. So tell us that if you have to advise someone or tell someone that how do they build this kind of lifestyle business where they can preserve their lifestyle while also being successful financially, how do you do it? Is there a recipe for this? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say there's a specific recipe there's actually a lot of ways you can do it um but the number one thing is automation um the you know basically anywhere you can build automation that saves you time 
and allows other systems, you know, other computers, other people to do work for you so that you can free up time, that's where you're going to be able to build, you know, a business that sustains a healthy lifestyle. If you, you know, if I had to do all of the things that Closet Tools does, you know, manually, then, you know, I would be pulling my hair out. Basically, if I was running a service business or something like that, um, you know, it would be insane. Um, so yeah, automation, number one, you know, and, and, and automation is pretty broad term, but, you know, really in, in my case, it's, it's using code mostly to automate tasks, repeat tasks that, you know, either customers want or, you know, features that I've added. Um, and in, in a lot of cases, what I've found is automation is through writing. And I, I highly emphasize writing in, in building companies because, um, it's, it's valuable information that can be reproduced and can be distributed to a lot of different people very quickly and easily. And so when you don't write down, uh, when you don't write down anything, uh, you know, anytime you communicate with somebody, they're going to ask you a question and you have to reiterate knowledge that you already know, uh, to this person. So say like you have customer support, somebody sends you an email. They're like, Hey, I don't know how to do this. How do you do this? And if I didn't have good documentation, if I didn't have a video or a, you know, a blog post or a, you know, a documentation page that explained how to do this, I would have to sit in that email and be like, okay, this is how it works. And you start from the beginning and then you do this and then you do that. And you're typing this out. Next thing you know, you're five minutes into an email. And, you know, the automation piece is I already wrote that documentation. I already wrote that blog post. I already made that video because a few people already asked for it. And so now, you know, my email takes five seconds. I say, oh, yeah, I already talked about that. Here's a link. And then I just send them a link and they go off and look at it. And the other hidden secret is if you're good enough at SEO and you're good enough at, you know, just being seen on the Internet, people will find your content before they even ask you a question. And so now not only are you saving time when you're doing customer support, when you're actually helping people they're not even coming to you in the first place because you already helped them. You already put out the thing that they needed to know. And so you're basically saving yourself a ton of time in the future by put, producing this content and producing that information in a way that's accessible to other people. Um, and so that's huge. I think, honestly, I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, and you know, it's unique to my business, right? Like it's unique to software businesses. Um, you know, certainly customer support for a physical product business is usually very different. It's like, oh, uh, these shoes don't fit. I need to return them. You know, there's no like, that's not like a document you can write to automate that. Like somebody has to talk to somebody at some point. Um, so, you know, there's, there's different pieces of automation for different things. Like if you ran an e-commerce business, one piece of automation is like shipping and fulfillment. Um, you know, you, you would store your, uh, inventory at a warehouse and then somebody else would handle shipping and fulfillment. And then you don't have to spend time packing boxes and, and sending out orders and things like that. Uh, but unfortunately that type of stuff costs money. So that would be eating into your profits. And part of the reason why I like SaaS businesses, software businesses is because almost any automation that you do is basically free. Uh, it's just code, uh, or text on a page or a YouTube video, which is all free. Um, and so that's part of the reason why I've been able to maintain high profits, good income, and also have a ton of time. Um, and that's why I alluded to previously when I talked about the black paper notebook Kickstarter, you know, like, I feel like if that business would have taken off, it would have been fine. It would have worked, but, um, it definitely would have been a 
much more difficult balance time-wise. It would have been harder to run. It would have been more like a day job where it's like, okay, I have to spend a certain number of hours on this thing and to keep it running. Whereas with closet tools, the thing runs itself. And every day I get a handful of emails from customers that, you know, either number one, don't read. So they just don't even look at the documentation, um, you know, or, or they just, I don't know, they just feel like talking to somebody and that's really it. And so, you know, that's why I've been able to have this crazy lifestyle where, you know, any day, you know, that comes by, I don't have to work on the business. I, I like to work on the business because if I don't continue working on the business, eventually it will fall apart and it will just degrade over time. Um, so I do need to work on it. It's not like I can't, you know, I can't just like, you know, stop working at it entirely. Um, but there's no urgent pressure to be like, oh, if you don't spend hours on this right now, you're not going to get paid tomorrow kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, so that's, you know, I think the automation, I think writing uh, is huge. Um, and then for me personally, you know, I learned all these skills individually and there's a lot of people out there that only learn a handful of skills and then they have to hire people to, um, you know, replace some of the other skills that they don't have. Um, and so I took the time to learn marketing. I took the time to learn how to make a product. I took the time to learn how to code. I took the time to learn how to write well, how to do customer support well, all these different facets, even just handling finances and stuff. Uh, which I was terrible at in the beginning, um, you know, all these different facets of running a business, you know, I had to study, I had to take courses, I had to read books, I had to, you know, really get in there and figure out how to do it well. And that's the reason why I've been able to do it by myself. Um, so yeah, and, and certainly if I did hire people, obviously, I could scale it bigger, but I don't really need to and I don't really have any desire to because it fulfills my lifestyle right now. And it's, it's, it's all, it's all pretty good. So yeah, that, that sounds very interesting and it's very insightful for anyone who is just starting out on the journey to build a business that you want to build a business that improves your lifestyle, not some not a business that makes you a lot of money, but also degrades your life along with it, right? So that, that's a very nice mm -hmm. insight that you shared there. Uh, so now as you shared this, it, it, it just felt like a dream life to me. Like, okay, you're making good money and you are also living the life that you want. You're completely free. You haven't hired any people. So that means that no one is reporting to you. You don't have to fret about, okay, that guy isn't working or that guy isn't performing. So you're completely free mentally and physically. You can do whatever you want. But then recently you wrote a blog post that uh, I think that I did this in a wrong way and i could have done, done this better that i built the business uh for sustainability while i should have should have built it to sell right building a business to sell mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. that is the way to building yeah. generational wealth and uh you know building wealth that basically stays on for multiple generations and not just this generation so talk me into this like how do you think that your current life is not good enough and there is something else that's even better yeah, talk me into this. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the 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 two different mindsets are self-sustenance, so like sustaining yourself and then building wealth for you and your future families and other people. Um and so right now Closet Tools is the ultimate self-sustaining business. It sustains me super well. It saves me a ton of time, you know, like it, it just adds to my lifestyle. Um, but when you when you start to look at the generational wealth piece, when you start to think about, OK, 
well, what about future generations? Am I going to leave an inheritance for them? Am I going to be leaving wealth for them? Um, and just like how you're spending your time, how you're making an impact on people. Um, suddenly you begin to realize that like, oh, closet tools, number one, can't run without me. You know, nobody else knows how to run this thing. Nobody knows how, you know, how to, how to, you know, get in there and, and nobody knows this code base, you know, nobody knows my customers. So this, this is all dependent on me. And so that's the number one thing that's the issue with the generational wealth piece is as soon as I die, this thing goes away. Or if I, you know, if I just stop working on it, it goes away. There's no torch that goes on to the next generations or anything like that. Um, so I, I haven't built the business in a way where either the business can be passed on or that it can be sold so that the finances can then be passed on to future generations. Um, and so yes, technically right now, everything's pretty great because it sustains my lifestyle. But if I continue in this way, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and I only build businesses that are self-sustaining, then when I get to when my kids are, you know, having kids and they're, you know, building their own families and their own lifestyles, I won't have, uh, you know, big amounts of wealth to be able to pass down to the next generations to be able to, you know, allow them to have opportunities to make big impact in the world and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, it's this, it's this, the switch in thinking where, you know, I think for me, I had to build something that was self-sustaining because I had to get out of the hole that I was in, you know? And so I, I wasn't thinking about building generational wealth. I was thinking about replacing my job, which is exactly what I did. I replaced my job with something that makes me an income right now. Um, but long-term, that's not what, that's not what I, at least that's not what I want to do. You know, a lot of people would actually be happy with that. They would actually be happy with just sustaining themselves, you know, doing their own thing. And then, you know, their kids can take care of themselves. Their kids can pay for their own college. Their kids can, you know, get their own jobs. They can have their own lives. And I just take care of myself. Um, and that's fine. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with that. But I know for me, I have, you know, I feel like I have a lot of potential. I feel like I have, the potential to make an impact on a lot of people. I have the time, I have the energy, you know, like my life right now, I, there's no excuse for why I shouldn't be pushing harder to, you know, increase income, to build businesses that impact more people, to build long-term wealth that impacts future generations. Because am I going to get to the end of my life and be like, well, I kind of just relaxed for, you know, 40 years. Like, you know, is that what I really want my legacy to be, you know, or do I want to be like, hey, I have this window of opportunity where I built a business that basically allowed me to have infinite time with my family and to work. And I, you know, am I going to get to the end of my life and think like, oh, you squandered that, you know, you could have used that time to build so many cool things that helped other people. Or am I going to get to the end of my life and be like, yes, I took massive advantage of all of that time. And I built this thing and I helped this many people and I, and I, you know, invested my wealth here and it grew to this point and I have this much money to pass on to my future children. And, you know, I think that, you know, and to me, that's, that's what I want. You know, I want to get to the end of my life and be like, Hey, you squeezed out, you know, every ounce of what you could out of it. Um, and so, yeah, it's a couple different, it is two very different mindsets. Um, and so, yeah, there's nothing wrong with working a business that, you know, and, and, and really it, it, it kind of boils down to like almost like a small business mindset versus, you know, a bigger business mindset where like most small businesses are like that. They're like a day job that pays the bills and, you know, it sustains you and maybe a couple other people that work there or whatever. Um, but it's not building, you know, massive generational wealth. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my, 
you know, wealth building spiel is, you know, for me personally, when I get to the end of my life, you know, I want to have felt like I used my time wisely and didn't just squander all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that mindset a lot. Uh, but I want to ask you this question that how are you going to change things from here and how are you going to change your life from here on? Are you going to optimize closet tools for being able to be sold or are you going to build more businesses that will be built with the intent to sell it one day? Uh, or do, do you know the recipe of what's the difference between building a business for sustenance and building a business for selling? It, is that recipe completely different? And if you know that, then what's yeah. that? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, it's a little different for sure. Um, no, I don't think my I don't think my intention is to make turn closet tools into something that can be sold. Um, I think because it provides all of my needs right now, it's the perfect opportunity to then build more businesses. Um, and so, you know, the the big difference is uh, between building a business that's you know built to be sold and building a business that just sustains you is that everything is documented everything is automated or has a person working on that thing. Um, things are communicated, you know, within the company. Um, you have trademarks, copyrights on products and names. You have um, all of your taxes and finances in place. Um, and then the biggest difference, honestly, is where you're putting your capital. So right now, Closet Tools basically pays my personal bills. You know, like it's basically all of my income. Um, because I'm the only employee, it's my company, it's, and I just run it as a sole proprietor. Whereas if you're thinking ahead and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to sell this thing, you're going to reinvest all of those profits back into the company to help grow it faster, faster, and faster. And that's what you can do to build a business that scales very quickly. And then when you get to a certain point where that business either hits a milestone that says, okay, when I, if I sold it today, then it would change my entire life or, you know, it would fit this financial goal that I have for myself. Um, and then that's, that's when you sell it. Or if it's going great and you know how to hire people, you know how to manage people, um, then you keep going with it and you grow a bigger business and you just keep growing. And so, um, you know, that, that's, I think that's the biggest difference is where you're reinvesting the money and where you're reinvesting energy. Um, right now, I'm not reinvesting all of my energy into closet tools. I'm not reinvesting all of my money back into closet tools because I'm not trying to scale it. I'm not trying to sell it. Um, but for sure, if I started a second business, all of the profit, because I already have a company that already sustains my lifestyle and pays my bills, every, every dollar of profit that another company would make, I can reinvest back into the business and I can help it grow faster and faster and faster. And I can use that to hire people and I can use that to pay for lawyers to do, you know, all the copywriting and things like that. And I can use that to pay for uh, CPAs to do the tax as well and make sure all the finances are documented and things like that. And so, you know, if you're, if you're really building to sell, that's what you would want to do. And so, you know, that's, you know, that's why a lot of people go the venture capitalist route is because you do need some money that helps sustain you that you like you need your personal bills taken care of and so that's where venture capitals come in they say hey we'll give you a million bucks um you know you can run this thing for the next two or three years and you know that you know that that gives them the personal capital to then say like okay my lifestyle is taken care of now i can focus all my energy on this business grow it to you know scale and then sell it and then everybody gets paid and then that's great. Like that's the way, you know, venture capitalism is, uh, works. Um, but for me, it'll be, you know, it'd be more of a bootstrap route. 
but you can have somewhat of a venture scale uh, type thing when you reinvest all of the profits and all of the energy back into the product uh, or the business, whatever it ends up being. Um, so yeah, for me, the future is definitely building more, uh, building more products, building more uh, companies um, and, you know, using my skills of automation and code and marketing and, and, and things like that. And just, yeah, continue to build. Yeah, uh, that sounds very good. Uh, one question that I have is that will, will this new business that you make, uh, will you be open to complicating your life a little more uh, for making this business successful? Because if you want to scale this uh, at a fast pace or at a pace that can compete with the venture scale, venture back business, then you would probably need to hire a lot more people. Uh, and then they, those people will be reporting to you and you will need to track that are they doing their job correctly and you will need to invest in training those people and set a vision for the company, then communicate the vision for the company. So there is a lot that mm -hmm. involves in just managing a company, leaving out the money aspect since you're, yep. you're going to bootstrap it. So you're going to not have to worry about that part, but you will have the people part to worry about. So that will take your lifestyle mm -hmm. away a bit. I'm scared. What do you think? Yeah, no, for sure. If I really went the true route of building a bigger company that hired people, it would take away from my lifestyle for sure. And, you know, and I think, you know, that's kind of the price you have to pay, though. I mean, like I literally right now, it's like like the easy like my life can only get worse. Like it literally the only way it could get better technically is if I made more money. But even if I made more money, I don't really have the time and energy to to like enjoy anything else that more money would provide. So like yeah, literally my life can only get worse. And so I'd rather it get worse by building something that, you know, provides, you know, huge value and, and builds, you know, generational wealth than to have my life get worse by, you know, like some other thing that would take up a bunch of my time. Um, and so, you know, I think it's all within reason and it depends on like, like I was saying earlier, it depends on where you want to sell. You know, I don't have to build a company that employs 500 people. You know, I can sell when it's at three people or five people or, you know, like something smaller where it's not like this huge, massive endeavor where you're building a giant company it's just like hey like you know we built this company to you know three million arr and we're gonna sell it for 10 million and we all get paid you know a million or two million or something like that and it's like cool now i have a nice nest egg you know i can then spend the next couple of years thinking about another business that i want to build and maybe you build that one to 10 million or 20 million arr AR, or 100 million arr you know and so like you can kind of use the uh, businesses as stepping stones to you know getting to higher uh, valuations and higher you know bigger businesses um but i think for me personally like like very personally is like right now my kids are super young. Um, and so I want to be spending a lot of time with them because I feel like the first, really the first 10 years is where you as a parent are adding a lot of context and you're really instructing them on how to behave and, you know, how to be successful and, and you're instilling good habits and good traits into them. Um, and so for me, it is pretty crucial that I'm home and that I'm able to interact with them and teach them and, and talk to them and, and just be with them. Um, and so I don't think I would build a huge business now, but I do think as the kids get older, like maybe if my last kid turns 10, uh, that would basically be probably around 10 years from now. Um, you know, that's probably when I would start to, you know, go guns and blazing and start, you know, building bigger businesses because number one, I'm going to have more time. My kids are pretty well established. They can kind of take care of themselves. You know, like, obviously, I, I want to be there as a dad, but like, you know, I don't have to be like 
there all the time. Like they have homework to do. They have, you know, whatever sports to play. They've got friends to play with. They got events going on. They got their own stuff going on, you know? And so then I can, you know, probably get back into more of a day job type thing and actually, you know, building something. Um, so that's what I think. I have no idea what the next 10 years is going to look like. Maybe I'm just going to keep doing this for the next 10 years. Who knows? Uh, but at least that's my thought process is like, okay, right now you got this great lifestyle, you know, try to build something bigger. Um, you know, you know, try and, but like also try to maintain that lifestyle at least for the next like decade so that you can, you know, make a good impact on your kids. Um, and then from there you can maybe, you know, do some bigger things and do some crazy stuff. And I know for me personally, like, you know, right now I'm 29, um, and we're, we're having a kid, um, in February and it potentially is our last kid. We don't really know. Um, but if that's true, if it is our last kid, then basically in 20 years when I'm 50, uh, the kids are all out of the house and, you know, they're all doing their own thing. Um, so, and I would only be 50 at that point. And there's a lot of people that have built huge businesses 50 and beyond. Um, so, you know, I, I have every intention of keep, you know, to keep working and to keep, you know, building even that late on in life. And I'm assuming in 20 years, I'll probably have some pretty good experience on how to build businesses and how to, you know, provide value for people. So I don't think it's going to be too complicated to build something that's pretty, you know, pretty successful. Um, so I don't know, that's kind of the plan. That's kind of my, you know, vision going forward. You know, I don't know what it's going to look like specifically. I don't know what type of business I'm going to build or like who I'm going to provide value for, but that's kind of the timeline that I'm looking at basically in the future. Yeah. So Jordan, I love the fact that all of this planning that you're doing is centered around your family and your kids. Okay. Uh, so I want to ask you this question that what's your philosophy on parenting and what's your philosophy on family building? You said that these first 10 years of a child are really precious and a parent should be there with the child to make sure that they, you give them a, a good foundation, which they can build upon. And, yeah. and there's a one interesting tweet or a reply that you made on a tweet uh, which said that you should never sleep with your kids. Uh, like, like from the day you are born, I, I asked you on that, that how, when should we start separating the kid from the parents? Uh, like at what stage? And you said from the very first day, right? Uh, so, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. so a lot, and a lot of people took that in the wrong way. They said, okay, you don't really care about your kids and uh, you, you right. just want your privacy. Yeah. Uh, but now uh, that I've talked to you for so long, I know that you care a lot about your kids. So it's not that you don't care about your kids. So tell me, of course, talk, yeah. talk about this. Like, why do you do that thing? And what's your broader philosophy on parenting and family building? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, this ties into the, all of the long-term stuff that I think about and that I talk about a lot and, you know, and to that tweet, you know, basically the, the reason why you wouldn't, uh, emphasize sleeping with your kids is because you want to keep your marriage healthy. Um, you know, that's one of the most important things for a child is to have parents that are in a stable, uh, marriage that isn't, you know, chaos and they aren't threatening divorce all the time or getting divorced, you know, that's, that's, a you know, anybody can look at that and understand that a healthy marriage is better than an unhealthy marriage. And just like anything else in life, there's a slippery slope. And when you allow something else to take priority over the marriage, you know, and it could be your kids. And this happens to a lot of people. This is the vast majority of divorces are when the kids come all the energy goes into the kids, no energy goes into the marriage. And then 15 years later, the divorce, because they don't even, 
there's, there's no even point in being married. All they're doing is just taking care of the kids. And so, um, priority, you know, priority number like two in my life is my marriage. You know, priority number one is my faith and, and, you know, and serving God. And, um, but then like priority number two is my marriage. Like my wife is my life partner, you know, and, and in 20 years, I want to have a better marriage than I do today. And so anything that encroaches on a marriage is something that I don't want to do. I don't want to set up a lifestyle that is a slippery slope where it's like, oh, they're just sleeping with us today. Uh, you know, this will be fine for the next six months. But then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you haven't been intimate. You're not having good conversations. You're not uh, going out on dates anymore. Uh, you're not talking to them about the future, how you're building the future. You're not doing things for them that are, you know, just in their benefit. And yeah, you wind up, you know, getting divorced or something like that. And that is what is bad for the future of children. Um, you know, getting divorced and then seeing you arguing and seeing you destroy this marriage is something that's just something I don't want to emulate for my children. You know, I want to see, I want to show them that they can be loving to a spouse and I want to show them that they can serve another person selflessly. And I want to show them that, um, they can build a life of happiness and actually have good communication with their spouse and they can actually, um, just building grow with somebody. Um, and so like, that's for me, like that, that's really important. And I think that that's something that I, you know, that's, that's what I want to do for my kids. Um, now I think as far as parenting goes, um, parenting is super interesting because it's very broad. It's, it's, it, there's a lot of things that you can do very different that are ultimately just as successful as other things. Um, I think the most important thing is, uh, well, there's actually two things. It's providing context and, um, and, and establishing that there are consequences for your actions. I think those are the two most important things. Context is super important because, <clears throat> you know, like a little, little boy, you know, they got a lot of energy. Uh, you know, you're sitting at the dinner table with everybody, family dinner. That is not the time to be, you know, making fart jokes and, you know, jumping and running around, jumping on the table and stuff like that. So providing context like, hey, that, in this scenario, we don't behave like that. Now, when you're in the backyard playing with your friends out on the tire swing, like, OK, you can run around, you can, you know, get dirty, you can do all that stuff, you can do whatever you want. Um, and that's a very lighthearted context. But there's very there's a lot of times where children don't understand the context and they behave in a way that is not correct based on the context. And so it's really educating children on, okay, this is the context of what's happening right now. And this is the way that we expect you to behave when this is going on type of thing. Um, and that leads me into um, consequences for actions. Consequences for actions are so huge because here's what happens. Parents that don't discipline their children they allow their children to grow up with no responsibility for their actions. When a child is under 13 years of age, they are not responsible for what they do. If they punch some other kid, their parent is responsible for that kid. And so the parent takes, you know, takes on the responsibility for them. And so, but if you don't actually show that child that, hey, you actually are responsible for your actions, even if you didn't get punched back or even if you didn't get, you know, like something bad happened to you, you need to understand that something bad is going to happen if you're an adult and you do something like that. And so by by teaching them 
very quickly, like when they do something wrong, that is not good behavior. That is not something you want to see emulated. They need to understand that if they do that when they're an adult, then bad things are going to happen. And so, you know, that, that I have, you know, you know, my, my son is five and I have pretty on, honest conversations with him. Like, Hey, if you did what you just did, if you were an adult, you know, if you were my age and you did what you just did to somebody, some other person, you would get arrested and you would get thrown in jail. You know, like that, that's what would happen. And so that's why I'm going to discipline you. That's why there's consequences for your actions. And so, but like I said in the beginning, a lot of parents don't do that. They don't relay that responsibility back to the children. They just take it all on themselves, you know, and that's when you see the helicopter parents of like, you know, parents that like do their kids homework and like help them get good grade, you know, like they do all of the work for the child. They don't let the child experience any failure. They don't let the child have any consequences for their actions. They don't let the child have any responsibility. And this is why you have 20, 30, 40 year olds still living with their parents in their parents' basement and they don't know how to get a job. They don't know how to live a good life. They don't know how to be successful. They don't know how to go out and, and get a spouse. They don't know how to build a family. They don't know how to build wealth. It's because they haven't had any experience having any responsibility in their life. Um, and I think this issue is becoming pretty broad and it's because it's controversial for some reason to discipline your child. And I think it's because, I don't know if it's just because parents think they're being mean to their kids or something like that, but like, look, this is real life. Like if you're, you know, you, there are consequences for your actions. And if you don't actually know, uh, how to take good action to get good results in your life, then you're going to take bad actions that have bad results in your life. And you're either going to end up in jail or you're going to be strung out on drugs and you're going to, you know, you know, maybe you'll overdose and commit suicide. Like those types of things happen all the time. It's happening more and more. It's not getting any better. Like suicide rates are up, you know, incarceration is up. All of this stuff is up and it's because of bad parenting. And, but for some reason, for some reason, that's not popular. I don't know why that's not popular, but for me in my house, for me and my children, that's the way things are going to be. And I know my kids are going to be successful. I know my kids are going to be very intelligent. I know that they're going to help a lot of people in their life. And I know that they're going to do it happily and they're going to have, you know, a happy lifestyle and they're going to be well provided for by themselves because they're going to go out and they're going to make their own income and they're going to make, you know, help other people. And it's just going to be great. Um, and it's because of the work I'm doing very early on in their life to understand that there's consequences for their actions. And so I want them to take good actions and I want them to know that when you take good actions, good thing hap good things happen to you. I'm going to reward this good behavior. You know, I'm going to, you know, give you the things that you ask for because you are a good child and you do the things you're supposed to do. But if you're not a good child, you don't listen, you don't do the things you're supposed to do, then you're not going to get the good things that, you know, that you would expect in life. Um, so yeah, it, it, yeah, that's that's my my view on parenting, and and you know it it could very well be controversial. And anybody listening to this, I you know, that's you know whatever you do for your family is fine. You you do that, but as for me, that's the way I run things. Yeah, I, I don't know what people would think about this, but to me, it sounded perfectly logical and beautiful at best. Uh, you know, and, and and the conviction with which you said that my kids are going to be successful, my kids are going to build wealth, my kids are going to do all the good things. I, I love that, the conviction with which, with which you said that. And, and you have good reason to say that because you are building. Yeah, building, well, that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing is a lot of people for some reason. Well, th here's the thing. 
people leave responsibility for educating their kids to legacy systems. So they put their kids in school and they expect the teachers at school to teach them everything they need to know, or they put them in college and they expect college to teach them everything they need to know about getting a job and, you know, making money and stuff like that. But they themselves don't teach their kids hardly anything. They see them very little time of the day because they're, you know, they send their kids out to all of these different systems and they hope that the systems teach them the things that they need to know. And, and it, it ends up failing the children because the systems don't actually teach them what they need to know. Most of the things like, like K through 12 school is basically glorified babysitting. You do end up learning some things. If you do your homework and you actually, you know, you know, do well in the class, you will learn some things, but at the end of the day, it's basically babysitting. And so, and, and then what happens is because parents leave that responsibility up to other institutions, they're basically have no control over the future of their children. They are leaving all of that control to somebody else. And that's why people can say for some reason, you know, they can come on and they can say, uh, like, oh, I don't know how my kids are going to end up. I don't know what they're going to decide to do. You know, I don't know what they're, you know, what their life's going to be like, you know, they're going to make their own decisions. It's like, no, like you, you can actually have control over that. And it's not that you, I want to control my kids and be like, you need to do this job and you need to, you know, make this much money and you need to like, you know, like, that's not it. I'm not trying to control what they do. I'm trying to control that they are happy and like that they build a life that builds happiness and that helps other people. And so like, that's it. Like, that's really the only constraints. Um, but yeah, because people leave responsibility for teaching and educating their children to other systems, that's why they have no control over it. And that's why they can't even discipline their children because they don't even know where the behavior comes from and they don't even know what good behavior is. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot there and yeah. And honestly, like, I don't really, I don't really write or talk about this much. So it's interesting just this coming off the top of my head. So this is yeah, all stuff that's just floating around in my head. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it that I got it moving in your head and got you, you know, speaking <laughs> out your mind on this aspect, because this is a very important aspect and it's not talked about enough. And uh, personally, I'm not even someone who's going to have any kids in the near future. I'm only 21 right now. But this interests me because parenting interests me. Why? Because parenting is actually one of the hardest things, but it doesn't get enough attention. You know, building a company gets a lot of attention. There are big leaders, top leaders talking about how, how do you build a company and how, how do you tackle the problems. But something even more complex and more important than this is how do you build it or build the foundation of your child? You know, that's parenting. And that's not being talked about yep. enough. Uh, so yeah, that's really important to uh, talk about this, and I'm glad we are here speaking about it. Uh, so uh, it, mm -hmm. you know, when you said that, I, I always look at the long term. That if the marriage isn't good or the marriage isn't solid, then it's not going to be good for the kids in the future. You know, ten years, twenty years down the mm -hmm. line, if the marriage deteriorates, then it's going to have an impact on the kids as well. You know, there's long term thinking in that. And when you say that you need to discipline the kids today and treat them almost like adults today. So that tomorrow when they get into the real world, they're not surprised, they're not taken aback that, okay, this is not how my parents treated me. So you're always taking the long-term mm -hmm. approach or long-term thinking on everything, whether it's a marriage that you're always prioritizing the marriage. And I love that aspect. And you are also doing it in your business as well, that you're all, always thinking long-term with your business, that how is this business going to do in 10 years? And what am I working on today that will get me results in five years, 10 years? So 
this is something that i'm trying to inculcate in myself because i've been following you and you talk a lot about this long term thinking and long term actions uh, but i tell you that having tried implementing it in my life i see that this is not easy to implement you know when you try to take an action that is not going to get you results this week this month or this year you know you lose motivation in in a matter of days you think that okay why am i working on this is not even getting me any res- results right now but you know that it is going to get you great results in maybe 5 years or 10 years but how do you wait for that long mm-hmm. how do you make yourself keep mm-hmm. keep at it for that long when you don't get anything out of it and remind yourself that you, you you're doing it for the long term and it's going to play out well in the long term how do you get yourself to have that mindset first and then act according to that mindset yeah well you know my first thought is it's actually really hard it's very difficult um you know and i think there i think there's a lot to unpack there um but i know for me personally what i've what i've done in my life is i've eliminated a lot of things that don't point in the direction that i want to be going um you know i'm not like always thinking 10 years out like yeah i'll eat you know a giant bowl of ice cream or something and like you know obviously that's <laughs> negative for my long term health but like you know like i mean you know it's great like i'm enjoying the moment um, so like, it's not like I'm always like, oh, like I, you know, I'm only the epitome of health, the epitome of wealth and the epitome of, you know, like there's a lot of things that I do that are very short-term minded, but, uh, as a default, as a behavior, as habits, like if my habits are detrimental and they are, uh, basically pointing in a negative direction where if I continue to do this thing, it's going to be very negative in the future that's what i try to eliminate from my life and so like what you want is to have your default be behavior be something that at least points in the right direction it doesn't have to be like the most massively impactful thing you know even like like you take like exercise exercise is like the ultimate long term thinking thing because like you don't work out today and then like tomorrow you're strong or like you know you don't st- you know you don't start eating healthy today and then tomorrow you lose all the body fat that you have you know like it's a long term thing um but like some people think that like they have to go out and they're like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to spend an hour there. I'm going to do all these workouts and it's going to be great. But like, you know, if you actually just got up every morning and like did like a five minute stretch and like maybe some pushups, maybe some squats or something or like some sit ups, like that's good. Like your default, like if you did that every day, your default behavior is pointing in the right direction. You know, or if you or if every day maybe you cut out a meal and you make sure you eat some meat and some greens throughout the day. And then like the other meal can be whatever. It can be garbage. It can be pizza, ice cream, doesn't matter. But as long as like some of your default behavior is pointing in the right direction, long term, you're gonna be you're gonna be okay. And like and and the thing is for me, like I don't think every area of your life has to be like this massively successful thing. I'm not out to be a bodybuilder, you know, and also a successful entrepreneur and also like, you know, massively wealthy. And, you know, like there's like, there's all these things that like long-term, you know, you could be, you could be the best at something. Um, but I do think that like, you can be well above average in everything, you know, you can actually do really well in everything. Um, and that comes from cutting out everything that's pointing in a negative direction. Um, and so, you know, I think that having that mindset of just like, okay, I just need to be trending in the right direction kind of helps you build a long-term mindset because it is about the trend. It's not about exactly what you do today. 
at the end of the day, it is about what you do today, but it's not specifically like, oh, I need to decide to think long-term today. It's like, okay, is my default behavior when I wake up in the morning, do I feel like doing kind of the right thing? Do I feel like kind of trending in the right direction? Um, I think for me early on writing, uh, daily helped a lot with kind of fixing this long-term mindset in my, in my brain. Um, and it's because I, I don't, I don't really know exactly why, but what ended up happening is when I was writing every day, um, I was basically just writing what I was thinking about. And when I, and the, usually what you're thinking about is just kind of like what you're anxious about. You know, it's like, you know, you have a little bit of anxiety around like finances or like, you know, how your, you know, kids are, you know, you know, maybe they were like misbehaving or something. It's like that. It's like, oh, like, I don't like that. And so like at the end of the day, like, that's what you're thinking about is like these problems in your life. Uh, but when you write them down, you realize like, oh, you know, long term, if I just do this thing, you know, every day or every other day or every week or something like that, this problem just kind of goes away. You know, like I'm not always going to be super unhealthy as long as I do this thing. My marriage isn't always going to suck if I just do this thing every week or something. You know, my kids aren't always going to misbehave if I just start doing this thing every day. Um, and so when you when you kind of look at your problems in more of a long-term vision they don't really seem that bad anymore because you understand like oh like long term i can actually fix these things and my life can actually get significantly better in almost every way um and so yeah writing writing helped me a lot with that uh and it helped me switch over from a uh thinking just thinking and wishing about like okay like i hope i hope my life ends up like this it got me switched over from that to okay i definitely know the steps it takes to build this type of lifestyle, I'm going to start doing that now. And I'm going to start documenting what I'm doing rather than just thinking about doing stuff. Um, so I think that had a huge impact for me. Um, and so I, I mean, I don't think that's the only way you can do it. But for me, that that helped a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I can totally relate to that because I'm someone who also writes every day, and I've been doing it for 12, 1200 plus days. So I know when you say that, uh, you know, you're, uh, you tend to write about the things that you're anxious about. And I, I tend to do that a lot. You know, what's going on my, in my head, mm -hmm. I'm more likely to write about that thing. And uh, I would also totally recommend writing to anyone who's listening uh, because it is so beneficial for the clarity of thought that you get out of it and you just structure your thoughts in a way and you can see things clearly. Because if you don't do writing, then you're basically not reflecting on your thoughts uh, and they are all around the place. Mm -hmm. But once you start writing, you are forced to make your thoughts structured and then put them on paper for someone else to be able to comprehend what you're saying. Because if you say some random stuff, uh -huh. it's not going to make sense to people. So you have to organize thoughts in your head mm -hmm. to be able to write. And that organizing your thoughts itself, you know, gives you amazing, amazing returns. So yeah, that's definitely a great thing. Okay. So another thing that I see you talking about a lot these days is the, uh, is the web three, the blockchain, the crypto space, uh, Talk me more into this. Like, what do you see of this space? It's it's still very early, uh, but I want to get your take on this. Uh, where do you think can this go? Yeah, it's interesting how for me it's interesting how controversial this this topic is. The Web three, um, you know, NFTs and DeFi, you know, decentralized finance. Um, so, you know, and I can I can talk a little bit about just like what you know what it is and how it works and stuff like that. Um, so basically. The difference between web three and web two is with web two, which is like, you know, today's social media, it's today's internet. Uh, anytime that you want to interface with some sort of application or anything like that, um, you have to log in 
with very personal information. You have to log in with an email address, which is probably connected to uh, a phone number, it's connected to your name, it's connected to your physical address, um, it's connected to other email addresses. Um, it might have your date of birth, you know, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things, you know, you even have your personal profile picture, you know, like it's, it's your face, you know, so like there's a lot of personal information tied to authenticating yourself on web two. Um, and part of that is because these companies want to be able to sell you things. They want to be able to sell you advertising. They want to know who you are. They want to know your data, um, so that they can sell you stuff. And so that's kind of the epitome of web two is that you yourself are the product. You are the data that they want and they want to sell you stuff with web three. It's fundamentally different because, um, authenticating on the web is based on a wallet and a wallet ID. And all you have to do is create a wallet that holds, you know, any of your financial transactions or any of your, you know, your assets, any kind of money that you have. And, um, the way to authenticate is just two factor authentication based on your wallet. So you go to log in, you put in your wallet ID and it sends a thing to your phone and you're verifying your phone. Like, yeah, this is me. And that's it. And you're authenticated and you're in. There's no name. There's no phone number. There's no email address. There's no date of birth. There's no like there's nothing like it's not tied to you personally, but you own the wallet and you have, you know, two factor authentication that says, yes, I own this wallet and I am the only one that can log in with this thing. And so fundamentally, from a privacy standpoint, Web3 is so much better because there's no personal information tied to you that can then be exposed to other people. And then you can have data leaks like Facebook just did in the last month, where a billion people's names, email addresses, date of birth, yada, yada, has been leaked and hackers can get access to this and people can sell you more stuff and they can sell your information. And it's just like all this crazy stuff. Um, you know, that's very real. I mean, like there was a Twitter thread I just saw the other day where somebody tweeted out something that was, you know, not popular with a certain group of people. And he was literally getting death threats and somebody posted his public address. They found out they found his public address and they posted it on the Twitter thread. And then, like that has real life consequences. Like that's not good. You know, like <laughs> digital entities should not have access to that information. Uh, unless it's, you know, very explicitly, you know, tied to what they're doing. Um, and so for me, fundamentally web three authentication in that way is just so much better. Um, and it allows access for, you know, just about anybody to do, you know, use financial services in that way. Um, NFTs are interesting because on the, on the front end, they're super, uh, scammy. They, they look very scammy because, um, most of the NFT token projects are centered around, um, you know, AI generated artwork where basically, um, you, you know, it's like a, a variation on a dog or a cat or a, a frog or something like that. And so that's what people see on the outside. They see these pictures and they think, oh, that picture is an NFT. Like people are just buying artwork and, oh, aren't the people that buy artwork, aren't they just doing money laundering and stuff like that? Like, oh, this is bad. You know, like that's it. That's, that's the level, the depth of level of thinking that people go through. And so, but what happens is when you actually experience what NFTs are, um, what you're buying is you're buying tokens and these tokens then allow you to have access to communities and information that you wouldn't have access to if you did not own those tokens. And so, Right now, it's very early where the tokens give you access to a community that's kind of random because like you don't know who bought 
the other tokens. So like you basically get access to, you know, a discord channel that has a group of people that all bought these tokens and they all have, kind of have skin in the game. Um, but in the future, you can see how, um, with purchasing a token, which is basically just like a ticket that allows you access to things. Um, it's a very seamless way of authenticating yourself. So you're authenticating yourself as your wallet. And then when that, when you authenticate yourself with your wallet, it looks at the assets in your wallet and this token then allows you access to whatever application it is. And you can get access to content and communities and information and knowledge without tying all of your personal information to it. Um, and the other thing it does is um, when you purchase a token, that token's value doesn't go away. So like if so like if you bought uh, a book or a course or uh, a community membership today, you're basically just giving all of your money to whoever created that thing. You know, like if you pay, you know, $100 a year to join a community, like you're just giving that money to whoever created the community. Uh, the people in the community don't get that money, which is weird because like communities, a lot of the value is the people in the community. So it's, it is very strange. But in an NFT community, all of those people bought a token, but that token still holds value. And so after is so like, if you get to a certain point where you don't want to be part of that community anymore, you can sell your token, you can sell your access to that community. And so what it does is it allows this financial framework where rather than you just spending to get access to things and spending and spending and spending, you can now invest in information. You can invest in access to communities because now if you pay a hundred dollars to join a community three months later, it could be worth a little more. It could be worth a little less. It depends on the quality of the community, but say it's worth a little more. And now you can sell your access to the community. And not only was it an investment, you made money on that investment and you got the value out of staying in the community and interacting with these people and learning knowledge and things like that. Um, so it kind of switches over the financial model from spending and consumerism, and it switches it over to an investing standpoint. Um, and so now, uh, rather than you know just throwing all of your money away, spending all of your money, you can you can build a an asset. You can build you know micro assets that hold value. And then when you don't want access to those things anymore, you just sell them. And you sell them back to the market for whatever they're whatever they're worth. And like I said, maybe you lose money, maybe you gain money, but ultimately it's better for consumers to have this model because they're not spending all of their money. Um, and not all of the money is going to centralized companies. You know, that's why we have giant $2 trillion companies is because there's this centralized platform where all of the money goes in one direction. It just goes back to the company and everybody has to spend, spend, spend to get access to certain services. Whereas if you have an NFT model, people are investing in access to services and things like that. And, um, it's less, um, you know, it's, it's more beneficial for, for them and their finances. So, um, I think fundamentally that's for me, that's kind of like the eye opening thing where it's like, wow, this is like totally the future. Um, but from the front end, like I said, when you just see the monkey pictures and you just see the cat pictures and then you see, oh, uh, this person spent a million dollars on a monkey picture that like, it looks like a scam. It looks like super weird and like nobody would want that. But like, if you look at, so if you look at like board API club, like board API club, you know, people are spending literally hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars on these tokens. And there's a limited number of tokens. There's, I don't know how many there are, there's 8,000 or 10,000 or something like that. But now you have this community of basically ultra wealthy people and they all have direct access with each other. So they all have this private, uh, you know, place on the internet, or I guess it's on, you know, on, on you know, web three 
where they all have access to talk to each other and, and interact with each other. And it's not that they couldn't do that on web two, but now they have private restricted access where like, Hey, we're the only people in this group. We all put money in, we all put a you know skin in the game. We all spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to be here. Now we have access to each other. We're in this game and let's, you know, let's do something with it. Let's figure out how we're going to, you know, you know, I don't know, let's figure out how we're going to move forward with this. And so you get access to this community of people that maybe resonate with you. And so right now the communities are centered around animal pictures, but who knows the future, you know, whether it's groups of entrepreneurs or it's groups of artists or it's groups of musicians and, and things like that. And one of the more popular things now is like fan clubs for artists, like music artists and stuff. They're putting out NFTs. And then when you purchase an NFT, you get exclusive access to something, you know, interviews with the artist or you get exclusive access to different events and things like that. And so like, you know, it's 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 this this token model that allows people to get access to things that you know that are, would normally be restricted or you would just be spending on a ticket but the thing is like if i'm a fan of an artist and i bought this token and it's worth a thousand bucks like i paid a thousand bucks for it and i get to go to like any show in the future that anybody holds these tokens they can go to the shows but then all of a sudden uh two three years from now more people want to get into these shows because the, the artist got super popular they went viral now that token's worth ten thousand dollars and then you can then resell that back to the market. Maybe you don't want to go to the shows anymore. You lost interest or whatever. You're not really a fanboy anymore. Um, so now you can sell that token back and you can get an investment on that. Whereas if you were to just buy tickets to all of those events using normal money, you just lost all that money. You just spent all that money. Like you, you can't like resell those, those access to those things. Um, so for me, the financial model of NFTs is just fundamentally so different. Uh, and it's a very different way of thinking. And I think it's very future forward thinking i think it's pretty sweet um so that's why i'm kind of bullish on it and that's why i talk about it and um yeah so yeah i don't know there's there's a lot to unpack there but yeah yeah absolutely so this uh, web3 or the nft world it's it's actually massive and it's huge uh, and the potential applications of it like right now we are showing seeing some very random applications of the nft space or web3 space token system and all of that but i think as time passes, we are going to see more mature applications and then is when it is going to get really interesting, I feel. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep. so uh, th yeah, so this was some really deep stuff that we talked about. Let's let's take a lighter question now. Uh, so what, what's, something, what's something that you haven't done yet in life or you haven't learned yet that you want to? Uh, what's something? You know, the one thing that I want to do like almost more than anything, I would love to be able to do this is producing music, like actually really producing like high quality, mostly electronic and just like, you know, like professionally produced music. I would love to be able to do that. I don't, I know how to put, so I, growing up, I played trombone, I played the trombone. And so like, I know music, I know, you know, like, you know, how to read music and I know things like that, but most of electronic music is centered around like the piano and the guitar and synths and things like that. Um, so, you know, I, it's been a dream of mine to, um, learn piano and then learn how to produce electronic music. And like, I have a, average singing voice which with you know electronic auto tuning and stuff you can make it sound great um you know so like for me i, I feel like that would be so fun to like make a song every day or make a song every week or something and just like keep making music and just having fun and music is one of those things i love music because it's kind of like the nft thing where like the picture of the monkey has no value like like th there's no value in a picture of a monkey and it's the same thing with a song like a song is it's this digital thing. It's just, it's something that has actually no value, but yet 
there's so much emotion attached to it and there's, it can invoke different emotions in you. And it has this, like, you know, if you really resonate with a song and the lyrics, like it really moves you. Um, and so it's this thing that's like innate in human beings, like every culture, every civilization has their music that resonates with them, that is designed around them. And so like music is just this fundamental, like language that I think is so cool. And I think it'd be awesome to be able to just like, you know, produce cool music and just have fun doing it. And just, you know, you know, be, you know, to be making music that somebody else really likes, like, they'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm their favorite artist. Like when I make music, they just love it. And I think that's cool because, you know, what it speaks to is that like, you actually have the ability to impact specific people in a different way than other people do. Like, I'm not going to make country music, but yet there's some people out there that really like country music. So they're going to go listen to that. But there's certain people that would really like the thing that I make, whatever it would end up being. I don't know what it would sound like. I would have to think about it and I'd have to come up with it. But at the end of the day, when I put that out, you're going to be able to discover, oh, there's these people that really resonate with the thing that you made. And it's just this really magical thing of like, you know, I don't know, there's just something about it. I would love that. I think it'd be so much fun. Um, and I think uh, when I, you know, get this whole entrepreneurship thing figured out and I can really do anything I want with my time, I think I would do that. Yeah, and th that sounds super cool. And that's something that I have also dreamed about that, okay, one day I'm going to learn music, music editing and make music, like really get on stage and hope uh, hold those concert and yeah. you know have that feeling mm -hmm. having a crowd cheering for you and performing uh, so that's definitely something that's very very cool and you you can probably start doing it right away i feel that you have the time to do that and you know it might just turn out to be more better for you financially than even doing another business this might be your yeah. breakout thing it could it very well could i think it, it it's a it's a little bit of a discipline thing um, and it's just like, am I going to spend the time to learn the piano? You know, I've been so used to learning, uh, you know, like hard entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial skills that I haven't put as much emphasis in learning, you know, art, art related skills, you know, like music and art and design and things like that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's switching a little bit of a mindset of like, oh, I'm going to actually build an artistic skill that's very opinionated and very, uh, unique, you know, I mean, there's a lot of other skills like SEO and web development and like, you know, building apps and like stuff like that. It's very like structured, like there's, 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 there's only a couple of ways to do it really well. And so like, it's very, but like with music, I mean, like you can make whatever you want. And so I think it's that, it's that creative piece. I think that's the most scary for me because like there's a potential that, uh, I don't know, it's very vulnerable. Like you're putting yourself out there, you're creating something that you you know, that you came up with, it's very original. Um, and I think that part of it is what intimidates me a little bit. It's just like this, you know, like I said, it's the vulnerability of it. You know, me making another digital product, you know, SaaS business is not very personal. You know, it's not like something that's, you know, me and like, you know, I'm putting myself out there. So I think that's more what it is. It's, it's like that is the emotion side of it. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I totally get that feeling. So about the learning part, you can probably hire a trainer so that that person can hold you accountable to learning it. You know, uh, I believe that you yeah. learned all the business skill, skills on yourself. Uh, but for, yep. for learning a different kind of a skill, I think it's good to you know hire a coach or a trainer and they, can, they will hold you accountable and also teach you something good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I probably should do that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that, with that, I would wrap up the main section of the podcast. And I loved all the deep insights that you shared and the amazing answers that you gave to all the questions. I now have a quick rapid fire section uh, for you. Uh, 10 very quick questions. 
this or that okay so you just have to choose one in between two okay uh, so i'll start and you you don't have to think a lot about the giving answers just whatever comes to your mind first just say that and then i move to the next question okay so let's get this going yep uh, so first one elon musk or jeff bezos uh elon musk i mean i think i think i think jeff bezos is interesting i think um I like a lot of Jeff Bezos's uh emphasis on like writing and writing based businesses but um Elon mm-hmm. um Elon just I don't know he's just inspirational he just I don't know for me he knows how, like he's built like five you know multi-billion dollar businesses Jeff Bezos built one so mm-hmm. you know like I don't know just to me I like I like Je- I like uh Elon Absolutely next one Bitcoin or Ethereum Uh I'm going to go with Ethereum just because of the utility of it um Bitcoin's cool uh but i don't really have that much interest in it i like ethereum cool $15000 recurring every month or 1 billion 1 million dollars right now um i would say hmm that's a tricky one um you're taking too much time <laughs> well i'm trying to think uh <laughs> i think the 15000 a month would probably be better long term um just because like you know all of your finances would be taken care of or whatever but um yeah yeah that's an interesting question because it's yeah it would be tricky cool uh another one on the same lines uh 1 million dollar right now or 100,000 followers on the platform of your choice gotcha hmm 100,000 followers uh i think it depends uh i'd probably take the million i think it'd be better okay cool next one product or or marketing What's that? What was the question? Uh yeah, it was product or marketing. Product or marketing. Oh, gotcha. Uh hmm. Marketing. I'm I'm going to say marketing because products can be so simple. It's ridiculous and if you don't market it well then yeah, yeah, it's all about marketing really. Got it. Commitment or exploration? Commitment or exploration. Um Well, I'm going to go with exploration. I mean, I think there's a lot I, I don't know. It depends on the context of what it is. If it's an entrepreneurship, you know, like an entrepreneurship and stuff like that, I think exploration is important for sure. Okay, got it. Uh I try to be quicker with answers. You don't have to think much about it. It doesn't matter if you say the wrong thing out and then you you can correct it afterwards. <laughs> But let's try to make it quick, right? Yeah. <laughs> That that'll be fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so absolutes or variables? Um variables. Cool. Logic or beliefs? Um, beliefs. Cool. Fast and exponential or slow and sustainable? Uh, slow and sustainable. Today or five years from now? Uh, five years from now. Uh, I got it. Okay, those were the ten rapid-fire questions that I had for you. and you you performed great and i loved all the answers yeah <laughs> and uh, on the last one i just wanted to check if you hold on to your long term thinking or you go for today right and you went absolutely yeah. correct on that okay thank you so much <laughs> for doing this with me i hope you enjoyed so those were all the questions that i have for you and there are still a lot more questions that have you know popping up in my head uh, in my head and i know that you would love to you know get on with those as well but i just want to keep this to a reasonable length 
or the audience to actually listen to it and they don't <laughs> scare away just looking at the link because there is so much value in it and I want that value to get conveyed to the audience as well. Okay, so thank you so much for doing this with me, Jordan. Uh, now, if anyone from our audience wants to reach out to you or talk to you or follow your journey, uh, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so uh, my website's jdnoc.com. Um, it's kind of an abbreviation of Jordan O'Connor. And then uh, my Twitter handle is the same. It's at jdnoc. Um, that's where I'm the most active. And, you know, you can sign up for my email newsletter that I never send out. And um, <laughs> or you can just follow me on Twitter. And that's where I'm most active doing writing and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I totally relate on the newsletter part. I, I also never send out my newsletter. So, yeah, high five on that. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I will make sure to, uh, you know, put all those links that we just mentioned in the show notes below so that anyone who wants can just go there in a click of a button. Thank you so much for doing this, Jordan. I hope you enjoyed. Have a lovely day ahead. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.